Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Big Singing Stocks. We're right in the thick of earnings season for a lot of companies globally, which got us here at BSS thinking about all the different ways analysts rank and assess companies. To help us break down a stock report and start to understand the wheat from the chaff, I thought I'd bring in my favourite, well, my only producer, only. Rob. Yeah. Thank Aww. you. Thank you for the intro. It's, it's so nice to get the, the intro spiel and it be for me for once because, you know, usually I'm hiding behind. I know. I know. Well, actually, for the folks listening to this, let's do a bit of an introduction of Rob. So, Rob is my favorite Kiwi. Off air, I was just explaining to Alex how to pronounce Aotearoa. Can, can we get another one? Aotearoa. New Zealand. Close. I love yeah. it. Is yeah. it right? Um, is it, it sounds a little bit off. Not but yeah, really. Aotearoa. Oh. Yeah, you're almost Aotearoa. there. Okay. Yeah. I think it's really lovely. I thought it was a very, actually, it's National Reconciliation Week here in Australia, but I thought it was a really nice way of acknowledging the traditional owners in a way that's really present in everyday life. I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Yeah. Well, even though I've been here for maybe like 12 or so years now, and my home is more Collingwood in Melbourne than it is anywhere in New Zealand, but Kia anyways. Another thing yeah. for our listeners to know about Rob is Rob is a fully acclimated Melbourne hipster. I am assimilating. I am assimilating yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. I like how you say also in that intro that I will be helping you with these stock reports, but really I am going to be tapping you for the <laughs> intel and what they are. For, for anyone who isn't quite aware, SelfWealth has these 12-page stock reports. They're available when you do the premium subscription. So we've got a lot of data that's provided by Refinitiv. They do Thomson Reuters. They're from the London Stock Exchange Group. Big old data boys. And we have all of the earnings and financials that'll be on the platform just normally available to everybody. But then when you want to get into the forecasting side, we have these stock reports. And today I have tasked Alex with helping me figure out how the hell they work and explaining them in layman's terms, how people can use them and use them as a part of fundamental analysis and mm. research. Yeah. So what can you find in them, Alex? What are we getting? So every company will produce different stock reports. And I think Refinitiv is a really good example. They have a specific set of criteria that they will report on in a stock report. It's usually a methodology for assessing companies and they'll group multiple analysis recommendations and then they'll produce a score, which is the way that Refinitiv does it. So, I mean, the easiest way to put it is if anyone's ever done research, it's meta-analysis for stocks. But it does it in a really nice way. You said, I think it was, what, nine pages, 12 pages? Yeah. And it's a very, very consistent format that will be applied to usually only companies. So, you generally won't find stock reports for ETFs or index funds. Because, you know, you can't really do fundamental analysis on 1,300 companies yet. The reports that SelfWealth have in the premium account, so the Refinitiv ones will include objective recommendations on a particular stock, for example, buy, a hold, a sell, and then the reasons why, which is what you'll see on our Instagram when Rob does those really nice buy, hold, sell recommendations. They're just graphic distillations of 
those stock reports. And one thing I've not actually seen in a lot of stock reports is a peer or an industry analysis. So you'll see that Refinitiv will take one particular company like, I don't know, BHP, for example, and they'll look at their key competitors in the industry and they'll actually give you those key competitors scores. And so it kind of contextualizes the reporting, which I find really, really, that's quite an interesting data point because just assessing a company's financials on its own might not give you a very accurate indication of that company. For example, some industries are very cyclical. There'll be times when they're in lots of debt because they're growing and times when they have huge amounts of cash flow because like, for example, mining, you'll tend to have like periods of extraction and then periods of like finding new extraction locations. So just seeing that a company is in lots of debt doesn't necessarily give you an accurate position of how they're actually performing. And so I thought that that was quite an interesting data point to see, well, what's the industry average? And then what does that tell you? That's a, yeah, it's a really good point, actually, because a lot of times you might look at them and it could be, I don't know, maybe if it's saying it's saying a buy technically by the aggregate of those analysts ratings, but you could be looking at other other aspects of the company that like look quite down, like that everything may, may look low, as, as you're yeah. saying, the debt, etc. The HP is maybe a good one because it can be a little bit cyclical at times. Mm. So let's start with that one, I reckon. Yeah. Do you want to jump into BHP? Yeah, for sure. So for anyone that doesn't own the ASX 10 <laughs> or one. Not familiar with Australia at all. Yeah, BHP is a very old merger of two resources companies and they're predominantly a miner that mines primary commodities like iron ore, copper, nickel and also steel making coal, which for those of you that hit up our last episode with Kate will remember is the mineral of the future, (laughs) but they're also a global company. So they've got mines overseas, Europe, China, North and South America, actually. So they're very much working. They've got mines everywhere. Mm, Yeah, I've definitely parroted Kate's stats around the 100 trillion needed to decarbonize and that 5 five trillion if that's going to be steel to friends that are saying that they want to invest ethically and not in mining and I'll be like well sir did you know that steel makes your little nice yeah. Tesla <laughs> and and BH, BHP may save the world which is just like a, a fun really salacious thing to tell people who are it trying is. to invest it ethically feels, especially I when there's, there's data behind it it's nice and I mean feels very boomer to say but it's very millennial to care about the where your money's going. What else do you want to know about BHP? So if I, if I jump on the platform and I can mm. look on their like score, they've got yeah. a, a score of nine on Refinitiv's stock report. Ooh. So let's let's go through that. What does that mean? Yeah. So score of nine means that BHP is in the top 15% of all stocks that Refinitiv assesses. Hmm. That's Definitely. pretty good. Yep. That's good. It's just one data point though because the scores are an aggregate of their collective scores for each segment of the report. And the other thing to note is that nine is a drop from their recent moving average of 10. 10 out of 10? Mm. Not bad BHP. Okay, but you're saying they had a, a drop from a 10 out of 10 to a nine. Why the drop in score? Why are they nine now? So like we just talked about, it's earnings season. So part of that is BHP operates to a financial year cycle and they released not their financial reporting, but their operational reporting at the end of March. And that included some projections for their 
full year earnings Mm -hmm. and that lowered their earnings and fundamental component scores because of very slightly downgraded earnings projections. Okay, so they're lower, I guess, because of some of the the components. But then, like, so mm. why are those why are those components themselves lower then? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because the report actually kind of sets this out really, really easily. Like, I confess that I am not someone who does like deep, deep fundamental analysis of stocks. But I found the stock reports. Shame on you. I know, I know, but I just it's just not my preferred. Like I'm not an analyst and I don't think I can beat the analysts at this, but I find the stock reports do it for you in a really simple way. So earnings refers to expectations and performance of the company's bottom line. So what that's saying is they're likely to make money, how much money, and what kind of a margin. It's really important as well. So, you know, if they're not making profit, but they're making a lot of money, not that great. And again, it would be industry contextually specific as well, right? Like some industries have naturally huge margins and others do not. For BHP, they've got a neutral earnings rating of five, which- Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because that score itself, this is what I mean about like take that top level score of nine with a grain of salt because it's an aggregate of all of the other scores that Refinitiv pulls for you. Mm. And those scores themselves, the component scores are themselves made up of number of factors and weighted to different factors. So earnings is weighted to three factors, each 33%, each equally weighted. And one of those mm-hmm. is how likely are they to surprise the market with earnings? And okay. this is really interesting because like as a lawyer in corporate, a lot of what we get told around corporate governance is that pitching, obviously when you say as a listed company to investors, this is what we're projected to earn, you have to substantiate that claim. As in like it cannot just be spurious, it cannot be. I mean, there's been companies that have been sued specifically because they've misled investors by overstating financial performance. Mm -hmm. So I find it very interesting that one of the scores that Refinitiv looks at is surprising the market because you would think that investors appreciate and the market appreciates meeting expectations right? Having accurate projections. But one third of the earnings rating is exceeding even your stated market forecast. Wait, let me go off piece there for a second. One, mm. of, them, one of them is earnings, right? Yep. BHP, one of the country's big earners. In terms of yep. their stock evaluation, the earnings yep. is neutral because it's yep. an aggregate of these three factors, one of them being how likely they are to surprise the market. And you're saying mm. it's better to not overstate, right? So what do we think, finger in the ear, are companies Mm. likely to say that they are under so that they can surprise the market? Or is this one of those analysts priced in, everyone knows you can't really cloak and dagger it? So I think companies are going to err on the side of conservatism because a surprise is a far better investment outcome than an underperformance. I mean, look at NVIDIA right now, right? Yeah, exactly. So companies will actually, let's say companies only do two, like half-year reports and four-year reports. In both of those, you'll announce earnings for the half. But often companies will release statements throughout the year or CEOs or the C-suite will like go and chat about the company's performance in various different forums. And a lot of the time, very big Australian corporates, smart Australian corporates will drop the hint 
they will kind of massage the market. So for example, if year on year, there's going to be a decline, they will start saying that subtly, but they will start putting that message out there. These are the factors affecting our performance. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been really challenged by X, Y, Z. We're thinking about what we can do to, you know, overcome those challenges. But they will absolutely, not even just in official market commentary, which of course they have to do because all companies have to release projections. But that conversation will get out there. Like if companies are going into a really deep, challenging year, then that sort of commentary will come out. And so I think they'll err on the side of conservatism because you can't really get punished for surprising the market. Obviously, if it's like crazy, people will go, well, where was this in your forecasting? Yeah. Right. So it has to be somewhat spontaneous or somewhat unexpected. Like, oh, for BHP, something like, well, the iron ore price just skyrocketed in the last quarter. So huge win there. Or Production skyrocketed 15% and we mm. weren't expecting it. That's Efficacy sort of thing. on production, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. yeah. I think Owen Rask, I think, calls it something like honesty season or like confession season or something like that when they have I to actually that. come and say, like, look, we might have been talking a big game up until now, but now that we actually have to disclose these numbers, we'll pull back and be a little bit and more that's conservative. that's the thing. Really big Australian corporates, like I don't, I'm not talking about your like small mid cap sector. I'm talking about your blue chip. They won't do that. CEOs and C-suite will absolutely be on message from the beginning of the year. So your your honesty season, it may not be as like, this is what we're going to make, but certainly if you really pay attention to what they're saying, that messaging will kind of bleed out throughout the year. Cool. Okay, so with with those surprises and knowing that companies are likely to be a little bit more conservative, how do investors actually contextualize that data? Yeah, that's a really good question. My view on this would be that all data is helpful but Mm -hmm. a bit useless without context. So the report is just a tool to allow you to compare BHP against its competitors and against other companies and to have the context of the industry that they're operating in and their size and what they do to be able to assess, well, they're a buy but a buy in minerals, maybe that's very different to a buy in some small cap, you know, exploratory miner, very different businesses, even though they're in the same industry. So, you know, size matters. The data just matters in context because, you know, you can see they've got a neutral rating. Mm-hmm. Industry estimates were downgraded by an average 21%, but that's actually really strong for them. And a neutral score is not a bad thing. It means they're expected to perform exactly as they've suggested to the market, which in an industry where everyone's earnings expectations have significantly decreased, like if we're talking about we're coming off this growth period in the market, then performing to expectations, it's actually kind of a brilliant thing for them. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a decent, decent point. Okay. So you're talking about some of these fundamental scores, BHP within their stock reports are compared to companies that of, of of their own ilk, of their peers. Mm. How about just like another ASX player if we went to go another tri-letter, CBA, BHP. <laughs> They've got the same fundamentals when I look at it on platform right now. They're both at a five. Mm. What does that mean in terms of what analysts say about buy or sell? Yeah. So you could look at that and go, oh, so they're an equally equal recommendation. 
And mm. the answer is that the recommendation in aggregate, like when you ladder up from that fundamental score back up to their overall score, CBA is currently marked as a sell and BHP is currently marked as a buy, which mm. comes back to my point around data without context. Yep. So their fundamental score, exactly the same. And the differences is made up in the underlying makeup of their scores. And fundamentals, just for our viewers who may not have seen the report, it's made up of broad financial health metrics. So let's go through them. Profitability, debt, earnings quality, which I think is a really interesting metric, and dividends. And they're all weighted equally. Mm. So CBA, BHP, both blue chip, big Australian stocks, different industries, right? Different market cycles. And they're experiencing these market cycles in very different ways, right? Interest rates have gone up for CBA, good and a bad thing, right? You increase your short-term margins, but maybe there's a bit of financial risk there in people defaulting on their loans. Maybe not, but both have dividends, both pay healthy dividends, actually. Both have the same fundamental score. But under the hood, it's really interesting because the weighting and the underlying scores completely different. CBA has positive profitability rating of nine, nine. Because as I said, interest rates have gone up. They're sweet at the moment, right? Life's good. Yeah, life's good to be a bank at the moment. But still recommended as a sell. And this is what's really interesting, right? So everything got bumped up, earnings quality, but dividends are negative or near negative Mm. in their score. And BHP, on the other hand, huge profitability, but negative debt rating of two. Huh. Because they operate a huge debt function, whereas CBA finances debt. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really yeah. interesting one because you can you can see why someone who's just getting into into this game, just getting into investing, and they want to let some of those professionals make the choice for them, knowing that some of those ratings are aggregates mm. or made up of some things. Maybe yeah. that person is not trying to invest in a, a dividend company, but they're really interested in a company that has like good earnings quality. So what would what would that mean for like a, a company like CBA or anything like that? Like what actually would earnings quality be? Yeah, for sure. So when you go into your stock report, you'll see that underneath the you know components of fundamental indicators, it will tell you what that score is made up of because I said everything's an aggregate of an aggregate. So for example, mm-hmm. earnings quality is made up of four components. Operating cash yield accruals, day sales and inventory, and day sales in reconciliation, I believe, is the fourth one. Debt, for example, is made up of current ratio, debt to capital, interest funding, interest coverage, right? Now, you can go and Google what each of these components are made up of. I think the thing to understand is they'll give you an opportunity to compare companies against like companies. So, I'm not that sure that comparing a company's earnings quality to another company's earnings quality is helpful as a data point on its own. But each of these fundamentals, you know, for someone just starting out, they're a really helpful tool to start to think about the things that make up an analyst's recommendations and therefore at the end of the day will tend to get priced in to the price that you as a retail investor are paying, Mm -hmm. right? Because analysts have had this you know, they're at the cutting edge of this information. They're already making their recommendations and adjusting holdings and doing all that stuff as portfolio managers far before 
this information filters out to your average retail investor. So I do think though that understanding some of these things and even in your own time going into the detail of why is debt to capital a fundamental metric of debt and why does it make up the score and what's dividend coverage or why is dividend growth important to investors? Mm. And you don't have to get under the hood in this way immediately to start investing. I just I don't think that this is the only way. Like fundamental analysis of individual companies and investing in individual companies is not the only method. You know, if, if investors want a good overview, I think a stock report's a great tool. But I also think that books like Shareplicity actually does this in a really, really good way True. of assessing a company's... Shouts to Danielle. Shouts to Danielle Okuye because her book goes into it in a way, in a simple way that I've actually not seen before because it's exactly at that beginner level of like how do you determine price to earnings and then how does that eventually tell you whether a stock is priced well, underpriced or overpriced, mm-hmm. overhyped and overpriced. And I think, yeah, highly recommend for those who want to take this to the next level. It feels like, and it definitely is, that the stock reports and things like this for investing are a gateway drug to being a big yeah, investing nerd. That's a good way right? to put it. Like everybody starts an investing and maybe we'll do an ETF, right? Yeah. And we might get an ETF that's underperforms and we'll say, mm. hey, that ETF maybe performed differently. Why? Is it perhaps some of the fees, etc.? And you begin to peel back these onion layers in terms of investing. So you can use a stock report and just look at that as an overview. And look, it's probably best for a lot of people to just say mm. a lot of very smart analysts and a very tall building have decided these numbers. And yeah. also different buildings, different companies, and another company has come in and got an aggregate of all of them to make mm. sense of it. And for a lot of people, that's probably going to be enough. But then if you do want to get really nerdy and realize why your stocks have jumped up and down, then jumping into all of those small sub points around the aggregates and what makes them up is, yeah. you know, very helpful. I agree. And I think it's also, it's analysis without the media hype, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, the market's falling off a cliff. Well, you can see that for plenty of companies, this is a huge boon time for them. And the meta-analysis point that you mentioned is kind of the best part of this because you're not just getting one person's view of a stock, it's an aggregate of sentiment and therefore hopefully a little bit more of a distilled objective view. But at the end of the day, I mean, it is just a tool and it's not the only one for one thing, not the only tool and it's not the only option, but I think it's a helpful piece of information and as always, it's just forecasts. Like mm-hmm. Smart, based in data forecasts, but it doesn't predict the future and it's certainly not financial advice. Like it doesn't consider you at all, right? Yeah. It just assesses a company's performance based on these particular highly curated selection of data points. Exactly. Like everybody in investing, especially in kind of the education side that I work a lot in, loves to say that past performance is not indicative of future performance. (laughs) Legal and compliance will love us for reminding everyone. I'll I'll just drop a little one in there that everything in this podcast (laughs) is general financial advice only, does not constitute personal financial advice. I, I also think it's a good point there. You're saying that not everybody has the same idea. I went to present at the Australian Shareholders Association conference a couple of weeks ago and I was, I was, I was, I was, flabbergasted 
at the amount of huge companies that say they had a, a speaker and they were saying completely mm. opposite things. So oh, it's really it's really hard to classic. just go with some. Like say if you're yeah. following like a Macquarie or following a bank or following whoever mm. it was, better to have one speaker after another. And I look credit to the ASA for giving balanced views on everything. But then you can be like, is it doom and gloom? Is the states going to mm. flop because of their debt ceiling issues, or is my NDQ stock going up enough that that doesn't matter? You know, yeah. like it's it's there's there's a lot in there. But what else might you consider in in doing this types of research? Yeah, I think if investors are interested in this type of analysis or even just curious, maybe they don't want to use it for buying or selling, they just want to use it for general industry insights. We've had really amazing guests come on and talk about Preach. their considerations. So I thought maybe I'd you know, do our listeners the favour of aggregating some of them. So one of them is solid governance. You know, I think especially in the small cap and mid cap sector, you want to know the people on that leadership team are experienced, even if the company is brand new. Let me just jump in a shameless plug to say that the self-wealth platform does have those ESG ratings for like pretty much every stock as well. So, and that will have a governance and also a controversy score. So not just the normal ESG, but ESG C in terms of controversies. So governance broadly, leadership team, but also to your point around controversy, corporate governance, you know, are they getting fined by the regulator all the time? Are they blowing shit up? Yep. Are we allowed to swear? Did we? I don't we can, know we can made swear. that decision. Being as the person yeah. who tells us to cut the swear words out, I'm just going to say, yes, we can. <laughs> Light swearing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. PG absolutely. swearing. Yeah. Yeah. Australian corporate swearing. No British know? swearing. No yeah. British swearing. Great. Great. I think the other thing that investors might want to think about that the stock reports don't really go into, although I guess they consider them in a kind of different view because they do have peer analysis is moat. So does a stock have a competitive edge? And this is really true as well. I think even we've been talking about BHP, commodity stocks. So commodity stocks are just stocks or companies that buy and sell primary resources. It's not really a lot to differentiate yourself on except maybe quality of coal or quality of nickel. So you have to think about things like, you know, what's this company's competitive edge? You know, have they got a mine that, you know, has a lot of untapped resource? Or in the case of Santos, as Kate was talking about last week, can they actually convert all of their mines and these huge reservoirs they have into carbon capture? And I think you can also think about things like their supply chains, their competitors and how competitive the market is and then if they are in a competitive market what's their differentiator and you know customer love I think one of our guests talked about which I thought was a really good one and especially as new investors I can't remember the customer love wonderful Johan who came in from Morningstar and talked about Mm -hmm. retail and consumer goods his episode's actually one of the one of our top episodes interestingly so yeah it's at the end of last year and it's predicting this year but he's got some really good points on retail I think he was right on a lot of them as well. So there you go. He knows, he knows <laughs> A shit. prediction that has come true perhaps. Yeah. So things like that. And it, some of them will just come naturally to investors as well, like the customer love piece and assessing moat. You as a consumer are the most discerning of those mm-hmm. insights. You know, do you like the company? Do you think that their competitors are better than them? Or are they in an industry like airlines 
where in Australia we have what investors love to call a really, really rational competitive market because there are only two or three airlines in mm-hmm. Australia and therefore there's not a lot of competition on price because there's not a lot of competition. So a regulator doesn't necessarily like it, but investors may find that Qantas has some redeeming features because there's not that much competition. And Qantas is a premium brand, so they're not really competing on that. They're competing Mm -hmm. on service delivery. I think the macro factors as well are things that stock reports don't necessarily go into. Climate risk, halving on, we've just been talking to Kate, and she's converted us all to the cult of (laughs) climate optimism. She's good at it. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely going to write a book that's going to be oh, like I hope a, she a, a local a book. bestseller for sure. Everyone should email Kate Howard and in, invite her to buy a, write a book. Yeah, so and flood her. Read it. Mm. Okay, look, we are probably at the end of our time for the listeners. Alex and I are both doing this before we're starting our jobs and it's coming up against 9am when I'm sure we both have meetings. So let's jump off this. Thank you so much for taking me through this again. I'm going to try and not show up too much on this podcast, but I kind of do want to beat Kate Howard. I think she's been on three times now, and this is my second. So I'm at the same, I'm in the same ear as Jess Lung from Global X, I believe. So maybe I'll go for three or four. Listeners, make sure that you comment on our like Instagram or TikTok posts and invite Rob to come back. He doesn't want to be a white guy on a podcast, but it's always a good time with you, Rob. We always have a great time. Rob's off to Israel, so you're abandoning me for a couple of weeks, so I'll make yes. sure to... yeah. You can hold the fort yourself. Hold the fort, yeah. Well, to all of our listeners, make sure you like and subscribe if you like this episode because it makes us feel good and we're millennials who desperately crave mm-hmm. external validation. Yes. So it's been a pleasure hanging out with you wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.